We're going to be back in Ephesians 1 this evening, continuing our series, The Walking Dead. Um, that will The reason that our series is entitled Walking Dead will unfold itself a little bit in the coming weeks. Uh, but tonight we're going to look back at some verses we read last week and we're going to dive into them a little bit more. Uh, verses 3 through 14, but again, like I said last week, Paul says so much here in these uh, verses 3 through 14. You could spend weeks and weeks on them, um, and we're going to give it a shot just in one night, hopefully briefly. So if you would, uh, either with your handout or with your Bible, read with me Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Let's pray before we look into this. Heavenly Father, we um, now come to Your Word and we ask, as we always do, that You would speak that you would give us the words of life, that you would bless the meditations of our heart and write the truths of your grace and your mercy indelibly upon our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you, uh, what do you think of when you hear the word mystery or when you think about mystery? Uh, I think probably, my mind probably immediately goes to like mystery novels uh, or mystery TV shows, maybe like crime shows. I think most of us... I think it's a natural thing when we hear the word mystery to kind of maybe automatically go to the, the who done it kind of uh, uh, category of mystery. What if I told you uh, that there is there is one word that is pretty helpful in helping us sum up the whole of the book of Ephesians? I'd suggest to you tonight, and we'll be unpacking this later as well, that that word is mystery. That a word that sums up this whole book for us is mystery. Uh, Paul uses it right here in verse 9. He says that God is making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose. According to the counsel of His own will, he goes on. He'll come back to it in chapter 3. Uh, in, chap- in verse 3 of chapter 3, he'll say, he'll talk about how the mystery was made known to him, the Apostle Paul, by revelation so that he could then give it to the Gentiles. In verse 9 of chapter 3, he'll says that this mystery brings 
brings, it brings to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. I think mystery is a helpful word for helping us unpack the book of Ephesians because what Paul keeps going back to is the mystery of salvation, the mystery of grace, the mystery of restoration, the mystery of reconciliation. We'll find uh, it's the mystery of the church that God's people in the Old Testament, Jews, are now one with the Gentiles who used to be far off. Um, They're now one people in Christ. It's the mystery of marriage, how this institution instituted at the beginning in Adam and Eve um, serves to proclaim and portray the gospel to the world in the mystery of God's relationship to his church, namely as his bride. It's mystery. And the thing about it being mystery is it's not a bad thing. I think we can easily think mystery means something we haven't gotten figured out yet, right? Well, the New Testament talks about mystery and the mystery of God and the mystery of what God's doing and the mystery of salvation. Um, And it pretty much implies we're never going to have it all figured out. And that's okay. Um, That's one reason we're going to have the after large group, small group, a place for you to process. Um, Some some of y'all don't have time to plug into a small group elsewhere. We want to offer this um, after large group. You don't have to come every week, but a place for you to process um, the mystery. Um, Here, specifically in these opening verses, Paul is unpacking salvation's mystery. Mystery of God's grace um, poured out uh, for us. Paul actually is giving us this unique insight into the heart of God. The heart of God before time. The heart of God and how he operates and acts towards us in time. And also the heart of God and how he wants to work in our lives and bring us into the future. This is a mystery that was a dimly lit portrait for the prophets of old. Something they could only look at from a distance. What what Paul is going to keep coming back and saying is that this mystery is being made known to you now through the gospel. It's your mystery. It's for you. And God is making it known. It's in the gospel. And so through the Apostle Paul, um, the God of all things reveals to us his heart. And the sum of it, the sum of this mystery, you look at verse 10. The sum of this mystery is to one day unite all things in Jesus That's the sum of the mystery. That's what all of history is about. That's what all of history has been leading up towards. That's what all of our future is going to be going towards. The uniting of all things in Him. See, there's something wrong with the world. It's a a presupposition, if you will, of the Bible. There's something wrong out there. There's something wrong in here. There's something wrong. There's something broken. You are broken. Humanity is broken. Society is broken. The church is broken. It's a messy place. Creation itself is broken. But God's purpose from before the foundation of the world was to so exalt Jesus that he would actually bring all things back together into wholeness in him. That's the mystery, and that's how big it is, that heaven and earth itself would be brought back together. That's the mystery. But I hope you see, I hope you realize in these verses what's also so mysterious is that it includes you. Like, this thing is so big, it's so much bigger than you, that you're merely a dot on the map. But at the same time, it's all about you. That's what we get tonight in these opening verses. This is why Paul explodes in this prayer of praise in these opening verses. So I want to look at three things, okay? 
Paul, I think, points us to grace past, grace present, and grace future. Okay? Um, Grace past, we see this in verse 3 and 4. And it's in this idea of this thing called election. Okay? Look at the, read this verse with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That's what Paul says. And here's the thing. Paul does not say that to be controversial. And he doesn't even, there's not a hint here that he even suspects that it will be. What Paul understands is that if someone is going to bring to wholeness, bring back into unity that which is broken on a cosmic scale, then God is going to have to be the one to initiate it. That's what Paul is understanding here. Paul tells us this verse, uh, these verses, he tells us that God the Father is the source and origin of every single blessing we enjoy. Um, Every main verb in this passage has God as the subject. God has blessed us. God has chosen us. God has uh, chosen us. God has predestined us. God has lavished grace upon us. God has made mystery known to us. God has sealed us. And also in rapid succession, Paul points points to God's love, God's grace, His will, His purpose, His plan. Okay? John Stott sums it up like this. He says, The whole paragraph is full of God the Father who has set His love and poured out His grace upon us and who is working out His eternal plan through us. Okay? But here's the thing. The fact of the matter is, you throw out a word like election... It makes people uneasy, right? Um, There's the reason I preached an introductory sermon last week and didn't deal with it immediately. Um, I want you to understand, this is not like a pet topic of mine, okay? Um, I love the book of Ephesians. At RUF, we're about opening God's Word and looking at a whole section of it. We're looking at the book of Ephesians. And tonight, we're looking at what Paul says here in verses 3 through 14. And I want to deal with it as we find it in these verses, okay? If I had my pick of what I... If if I was just going to pick a topic, this would probably be one of the last ones I would pick, (laughs) okay? Um, but I want to see, I want you to step back because I think in the scheme of the big picture, we can actually find something pretty beautiful here. Okay? So for a moment, I want you to just think with me, why would Paul say this at the beginning? Why would Paul say this? And this is what he's saying. What Paul is saying is, salvation was not an afterthought of God. Salvation was not an afterthought. It was his sovereign, determined plan to save a lot of people. And he was going to move heaven and earth to do it. That's what Paul's saying. Paul is is excited that before he could ever choose, God determined to do something. He chose him. Paul goes so far as to even use the P word there, right? Paul is rejoicing. Get this. Paul is rejoicing. That before he could ever think, he was thought of. That before he could ever love, he was loved. Before anything had ever happened in the world, God made a determination to choose him. That's what he says. Just dealing with what he says there. But here's the thing. Just to touch on this for a second, maybe a counterpoint. That does not mean we do not choose him. 
It does not mean that at all. The Bible actually says we choose Him. And the Bible calls us to choose Him. And the Bible calls when we hear the gospel that we have a choice to make. The Bible says that as well. Look at verse 13. In the same passage, Paul talks about in the moment, the present, when we hear the word of truth, and in the moment when we choose to believe it. In the whole same passage, he talks about both things. And he doesn't deny either of them. The question you need to ask is this. I think this is a helpful way to think about it. Are you and God on good terms? Are you and God okay? Are you on um, are you on good terms with God? And how do you know that? And here's the question. Are you on good terms with God? If your, an- if your answer to that question is yes, I would ask you, why do you say that or how do you know? Well, a common answer would be, well, this one time, whatever happened, I prayed, the, I prayed a prayer, right? Um, and I know that God saved me. The question to that would be, well, how do you know you were sincere? How do you know you prayed the right words? Okay, well, I repented of my sins. Okay, how do you know you repented the right way? How do you know you repented because of you realized what sin was and not because you didn't want to go to hell? Well, I believed. I believed. Did you believe with your whole heart? Would you have known? The thing is, <laughs> this is funny. If you have never believed and if you have never prayed and if you've never repented, you're probably not a Christian, right? But the question is, if you are one, how do you know? How do you know? Think about it this way. If you have a relationship with anyone, let alone God, if if you have a relationship with anything or anyone that is entirely based on you, your effort, your beauty... Your loveliness, hello dating, right? That relationship will never be stable because you will never be secure. This is why so many of you have miserable dating stories. And this is why so many of you guys are not asking any girls out. It's a problem. Right? Because you think it's all going to be based on you, that it's success or failure is all on you. I want you to see what Paul's saying. Les Newsom uh, puts it like this for Paul. What Paul is saying is, I discovered in Jesus a love that was its own justification. Let me say that again. I discovered in Jesus a love that was its own justification, meaning the love of Jesus was its own reason. Why does he love me? Because he loves me. That's it. The subject is controversial. This is, this is where I think the, the irony is here. The subject is controversial when you think about yourself. When you, turn, when you, tra- when you change uh, the focus. But what does Paul say? Verse 4, he makes it very clear. God chose us in him, in Jesus. Meaning it's all about him. Jesus is mentioned some 15 times by name, title, or pronoun in the first 14 verses. Okay? Um, water break. I told you my voice was going. Um, it's all about Him. Why did, why did God choose us? Because He knew that we would believe the gospel? Um, because we were somehow more holy and blameless than some people? No, look at verse 4. He chose us in Him that we should be holy and blameless. Meaning, not because of anything in you. 
Meaning his love was his own justification. Why does he love you? Because he loves you. Why did God choose us in and because of Jesus? That is the point. That's the point. You are saved if you are in Jesus. If you know who Jesus is, that doesn't save you. If you know what the gospel is, that doesn't save you. If you've agreed with everything I say, that doesn't save you. What saves you? Jesus. Paul makes that point abundantly clear here. It's all about Jesus. And for Paul, it's the most beautiful thing he's ever known, and he erupts in prayer and praise. That no matter who he was, no matter what he'd done, or what he would do, the love of God was his from before time and into time everlasting. Um, the show Lost, um, I think most of us have seen that show. It's a great show. Um, so y'all remember the last episode right at the end? No, I'm joking, because uh, I know some people I know some people are still watching it. Um, you know, throughout the whole series of Lost, um, Jack and Kate, right, there's this... There's this tension, like, that you, everybody wants them to be together because Jack is awesome. Um, and, you know, you, everybody knows Jack has something for Kate. And there's one point, uh, I forget what season it is, but Kate has kind of gotten romantic with Sawyer, like the cowboy who doesn't care about anybody. Um, and at one point, Jack, I can't even remember what happened, but Jack, Jack has done something that benefits Kate and Sawyer together. And Kate calls him out on it and says, why would you do that? I thought you hated Sawyer. And without missing a beat, this is like my favorite moment in the whole series. He looks back at her and he says, because I love you, Kate. And he smiles and he walks away. In that instant, what Jack did was gave that relationship the ultimate security. He loved her because he loved her. That is exactly what God has done for us. He's given us this foundation of His love, and nothing will stop Him from pouring it out into our lives. That is what Paul is getting at. Let's skip forward here now to grace present. And we see grace present in two things here, adoption and redemption. Paul talks about adoption and redemption. What is the point of God choosing us? Adoption. To make us sons and daughters. The word adopt there in the Greek means literally to make a son. Okay, and Paul had an interesting uh, real life phenomenon that he was basing this off of. It wasn't really a Jewish custom, but in Roman in Roman culture, um, adoption was a very, um, very common legal thing. Uh, usually it was an older person who was wealthy who didn't have an heir. And so he wants his wealth to continue after he's gone. So he would find someone, usually someone he respected, um, and he would adopt him. He would literally make that person his son. And there's four things that legally uh, that adoption would do. All the son's debt would be instantly rid of. All that was the father now belongs to the son. The son now becomes as wealthy as the father. The father becomes liable for the son's behavior. And the son now has responsibility of carrying on the father's wealth. Paul says that's exactly what happens to the Christian. Your status has been completely changed. Your identity has been completely changed to just simply God's. That's it. Meaning God will always be on your side. You're His Son. 
He's taken your obligations. He's taken all your debts. He's given you the responsibility of carrying on His name. He's put His name on you and nothing can take it away. John Stott brings up an interesting question as we're thinking about this. He says, okay, so God determined this thing before time. He's bringing this thing called adoption into reality in our lives. But why, if God knew the fall was going to come, why create us in the first place? If we were going to fall, why create us in the first place? We don't have time to really just explore that tonight. But simply, it seems that the answer has to be that He had destined us for a higher dignity that even creation could give us. Because He intended to adopt us. He intended to make us sons and daughters. That was His plan. And that's how He works it out in our lives. Paul says in Romans eight fifteen. He talks about it like this. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, He uses the word spirit there to mean a way of doing things. So what Paul is saying is, we have an air about us as sons and daughters of God. The way we carry ourselves shows that we are sons and daughters of God. Y'all remember in the the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15? Do y'all remember how the elder brother responds to his father after his father throws this lavish party for the son who went away and squandered everything and then came back and the father accepts him with open arms? The father goes out to the older brother who won't even come into the party. Um, And he says, my son, all that I have is yours. And the older brother looks back at his father and says, all these years I slaved for you. And you didn't even give me as much as a young goat, right? And in that moment, what the older brother proves is this. He was never a son, always a slave. Good friends of mine. Uh, I've been in China the last few weeks um, adopting their new daughter. Uh, they have, they're in their 40s, and they have four children. Uh, and they're getting this young little 18-month-old girl. Uh, and we've been watching it on their blog unfold every day over the last few weeks. And she, uh, the wife detailed... Uh, blogged in detail about the day that they, they got her. Basically, you go down into a hotel lobby and they just hand you the baby <laughs> and you've got the baby. Um, and she talks about the, the kind of the first afternoon and night with her and then how, you know, the orphanage workers were still there the next day. Um, and she talked about very honestly about her, that first night, the, basically that first day they get her, you just get her and you, you have her for the rest of the day. Um, and that first night, thinking, um, She said, lying awake in bed saying, is something wrong with her? Are we going to be able to do this? This baby doesn't know us. This baby doesn't want us. She doesn't think she needs us. She cries when we hold her. She cries even sometimes when we look at her. Right? But then she talks about the next day going down to the lobby and doing some final paperwork um, and saying goodbye to the orphanage workers. She said something happened. She says all of a sudden the baby became calm She wasn't stiff anymore. She ate and ate and ate what they fed her, which was KFC mashed potatoes. It was fun pictures. She began doing copying games with my friend, uh, with both of them, my wife and husband. She began shaking her head. She began sticking her tongue out. She even reached out her hand and touched Jody's face. And Jody says this. She says, at that moment, my heart broke open 
And at that moment, I fell in love. It's really been a wonderful, incredibly moving thing to keep up with. And, and those stories are beautiful, and we love things like that. But you see here, what Paul says is that before time, God knew exactly what he was getting. There was no doubt. There was no uncertainty. He knew exactly what was wrong with you. And he was going to move heaven and earth to make it go away. And he still is. There's security there. And even more than that, God knew the cost that it would take. Now, that leads us to the second point here in grace, present, redemption. Look at verse 7. Paul says that we have redemption through his blood. Right? And I don't know about you. I just think this is an easy one to forget. Okay? I, you know, yeah, God loves me. He's my father. He forgives me even though I screw up. Here's the thing, y'all. We got to remember. Love is no love that does not cost And God's love for us plainly cost him something. And he more than paid for it. There's no greater cost than the shedding of one's own blood. You've heard it all your life. God loves you no matter what. But you think to yourself, that's really not doing anything for me. I hear it. I hear it over and over again. But it hasn't changed me at all. Remember the price that he paid and not only do, do I urge you to remember the price he paid, remember that he did it willingly, knowing exactly what it would take. The word redeem there, it literally means to buy back from slavery. I love this verse, 1 Corinthians 6.20, where Paul says, For you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Wrapping these two those first two up, grace past and grace present. How is it with you and God? How can you answer that? How can you begin to answer? How would you answer that? Are you living as a slave or as a son or a daughter? Are you living in fear? Are you living in security? How can you know that? You know, every other religion basically has been about how to manipulate the forces or the gods to gain blessing. Christianity comes along and says, here's a God that delights in pouring out blessing, even knowing how much it's going to cost him to do so. And he's paid for it. I want to close with this grace future. Really quick. You look at verse 11 and then verse 14. In verse 11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance. Present tense, right? Um, But then in verse 14, he talks about the Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So which is it? We either have an inheritance or we're going to get an inheritance. Well, here it is. You see, this cosmic, predestined, foreordained thing... Paul says it has come into your life in the here and now as you hear the gospel. And when it does, and when you believe, you receive as a guarantee the Holy Spirit. A guarantee. It says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You know, back then, 
Um, they didn't have like credit cards or um, you don't give like people a credit card number to, to secure a transaction or give them your social security number. Um, um, what they would do actually, if you wanted to ensure something got to somebody, you know, you'd pour the wax and do your signet ring that had your seal on it. You'd seal something as yours so that when it was delivered, somebody would know it was from you, right? Paul says we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. I know no better way to illustrate this than watching um, a football game, a recorded football game. When I watch Mississippi State football, to put it mildly, I'm an unstable person um, in many ways. Um, you know, every, every, every step, every throw, every, every anything just makes me want to jump through the roof, right? But I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, I've maybe missed a game, so I recorded it. Inevitably, no, how, no matter how hard I try, I always end up finding, what, finding out what the score was before I actually watch it, right? And win or lose, I still watch it. And something I've noticed is that when I watch it, I actually enjoy it more. Because I actually take it in. And I actually watch plays in a different light. Every play is not throwing me out the door or out the window or making me feel like I'm about to have a heart attack. There's something of a calm or peace that comes over me. What Paul is saying, what he sums up here, is that God's grace, past and present, point us to a surety of the future. Something that can bring peace into the here and now. Something that can bring life into the here and now. Something that brings light into darkness, healing into brokenness. Things that happen now, but at the same time, things that are only a taste of what fully will be. Think about this. Paul's writing to real people in a real place with real problems. Paul himself was a man of chains, literally in in prison, a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. Okay? And you think about this. Even as a man in chains, Paul still had his heart and mind in eternity. As he peered back before the foundation of the world, and as he peered forward to the fullness of time, and what he did is he grasped hold of what we have now in light of both of these eternities. Because you see, we look at the world, and we know the truth of what God has done and what He's doing in the world, but we know there's still fragmentation in the world. There's still brokenness. We are broken. Our relationships are broken. Things that we try to do don't ever quite work out the way that we want them to. We're exhausted. We're bored. We're apathetic. We're cynical. Whatever. And we long for this unity that Paul says is going to come when all things are united in him. And what Paul is saying is that grace past, grace present, and grace future. What God determined to do, what God is doing, and what God is determined to do in your life, to bring to completion. All of these things join together to give you a glimpse of the security that you have in him. The mystery The mystery, this plan for the whole entire cosmos has come into your life through the hearing of the gospel, Paul says. He says it's a story of grace before time in Jesus. 
It's a story of grace in the here and now through Jesus. And it's a grace that will carry you home through the down payment of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. Biggest check I've ever cut in my life was the down payment on our house when we moved here to Macon, right? Um, So I made this down payment. And think about a down payment is like it counts towards my payments toward the house. But at the end of the day, I still don't own very much of my house, right? Um, In fact, it's going to take me 29 more years to own my house the way that we work, right? But every day, that house is a little bit more mine. And I'm enjoying that house now. It gives me warmth. gives me security. gives me shelter. Think about this. Your down payment, your guarantee of what God is doing in the universe and what He will bring to completion in your life and in all lives, the down payment of that is His Spirit. That's just a glimpse of what he's going to do. And what Paul is saying is that from beginning to middle to end, it's a sure thing. And it's a sure thing because it doesn't depend on you. It's all about God. I invite you into this mystery. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we long to be sure of something. We would ask that you would pour out your grace into our hearts. Father, that you would show us what you have determined before the foundations of the world to reveal us to yourself as a loving and gracious God who will move heaven and earth to bring a people to himself. Father, we long for security. We long for comfort. We long for healing. We ask that you would show us that we have it now in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.